Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back, everyone, to the 33rd episode of the Take the Points podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your co-host today, Tate Seth, and as always, joined by Arjun Menon. We're going to be previewing some pretty big games in Week 13. Uh, Arjun, I, I have to ask you, the afternoon slate, the 4 o'clock slate you know, for us on Eastern Time, your Chargers are playing the Raiders at the same time as Dolphins versus 49ers and Chiefs versus Bengals. What's getting most of your attention when you, uh, when you approach this slate here? Yeah, I mean, I I haven't missed a snap of Chargers football yet, and I plan to keep that streak continued. So Chargers Raiders is definitely going to be on the big screen. And then I'll probably have um, Chiefs Bengals on my computer streaming because, I mean, as much as I would love to see uh, 49ers Dolphins and kind of see what Tua does versus that defense and how that game plays out, I just can't miss Mahomes going bers- uh, berserk on this Bengals defense, which I think is going to happen. So it's it's a really fun slate. I'm I'm sad we we didn't get to see like the Cowboys uh, game get moved out of or flexed out of Sunday Night Football, and we throw Chiefs Bengals in there because I think that would have been one hell of a game. But you know, still a very exciting slate of football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I understand why NBC does that. You know, from a ratings perspective, yeah. you know, people love to watch the Cowboys, but I would have loved to see that as well and yeah like the beauty of being a Lions fan is like you know they always play in the early slate like literally every single game this season is one o'clock or earlier uh so I never have to worry about them getting in the way of those big afternoon games but you know we won't be previewing uh Lions Jaguars in in this episode but we can start with another NFC North team in a big game uh the New York Jets you know traveling to Minnesota to face the Vikings they're three-point underdogs in this game what's your initial read on uh Jets Vikings here yeah, I think um, to me, it, it it's it's a very fun game. And I think it, it's a game where the Jets defense matches up very well with the Vikings offense. I think about, you know, who are some players that, you know, have really taken a big step forward this year. And I think one of them you have to talk about is Quinn Williams, who's I think you can make the argument for being the second best or even third best defensive tackle in the league right now behind Aaron Donald or Chris Jones or maybe like Jeffrey Simmons, like he's been on an absolute tear this year and he's going up against one of the worst interior offensive lines in the NFL with Ed Ingram, Garrett Bradbury, and whoever the Vikings started left guard. Um, We saw the Patriots last week try to line up Matthew Judon over the guards and it worked one time getting Ed Ingram to be called for a holding. But I think the Jets 
front seven. If Derisaw, I'm not really sure if he's going to be back or not, but if Derisaw is not playing, I think the Jets front four will have a great time. And obviously the big matchup is Sauce Gardner versus Justin Jefferson. And, you know, I think Sauce Gardner's done a tremendous job on some very elite receivers like Stephon Diggs um, and others throughout the season. But this is probably going to be his biggest test yet, given that Justin Jefferson is arguably the best receiver in the NFL right now. I, I do like the point about Quinn and Williams against that interior offensive line because really the only way to stop Justin Jefferson is you can't take him away. You can't take him out of the game. We saw Belichick try to do one double against it and that didn't work. We've tried, we've seen so many different ways to try to take Justin Jefferson, but he still makes his impact on the game. The only way to, you know, really affect this Vikings offense is to get pressure on Cousins. And yeah, like you said, like I think Sauce Gardner has been the best corner in the NFL this season, you know, 0.59 yards allowed per covered snap, which is fifth best. Um, you know, only allowed 18% of his targets to go for first downs, which is second best in the league and third best passer rating when targeted. But something I noticed when I was looking at Sauce Gardner's stats is he gave up 51 yards to T. Higgins against the Bengals. Uh, he gave up, a you know, a 30-yard 30, 30 deep pass to Stephon Diggs on the first play of the game against the Bills. And then he also gave up 33 yards against Amari Cooper in that Browns game. So, you know, obviously there's no such thing as a true shutdown corner in the NFL anymore. And even though Sauce might be the, the best corner this season, he still has had these mistakes, which, you know, is okay because he's a rookie corner. But something I noticed is all of these big plays that he's given up to Higgins, Diggs, and Amari Cooper uh, happened in the first half of games. And then he was completely shut down in the second half of games. So I think, you know, with what we know about with the way that the Vikings come out in the first half of games and kind of <laughs> dominate that area, combined with maybe, you know, Sauce having to read Jefferson throughout the game, maybe we could see a big first half for the Vikings, and then that might put Mike White, you know, in a lot of expected pass situations where he's going to have yeah. to fight back in this game. Yeah, no, I love that point, and I think uh, the Vikings have been one of the best teams on scripted plays. We we kind of talk about how Jefferson gets heavily featured on the first two drives of the game, gets three to four catches, and then he kind of sometimes gets non becomes a non you know factor for the rest of the game until the fourth quarter when the Vikings need to score, they need to drive. Um, you know, this is a potential great opportunity for live betting. Also, if you see Jefferson gets two or three catches early on, his reception prop moves up to eight and a half, nine and a half. You could look to take the under there. So there's a lot of fun um, you know, theories to be put in play here. I am curious to see what the Jets do on offense. You know, we've kind of talked about in length how Vikings are now pretty much a, a tree of the Vic Fangio uh, fam a defensive family. Um, Ed Donatel has run the most uh, two high shells pre-snap of any team in the league has one of the lightest box counts of any team in the league. So I think Jets, if they want to, will be able to run the ball. But one of the things that I was looking at earlier today is this idea of like, uh, do teams go like how often do teams go run, run, pass, right? Like that's I feel like a big like like uh, analytical like, no, no, when you go run, run, pass, especially if you have a good QB. But the Jets don't have a good QB. But despite that, they've only gone run, run, pass at the fifth lowest amount of any NFL team in the league this year. So this is even with Zach Wilson. I think, you know, Michael Fleur has done a good job, like, kind of understanding that even if his quarterback is bad, his run game with a lot of the injured offensive linemen are not that good. And I do think this Vi Vikings secondary is exposable. Um, we kind of saw Mac Jones take over last week. And I'm not saying Mike White is better because, I mean, again, he's such an unknown and he did play against a pretty bad defense in the Bears last week. But I think the Jets could have success given, you know, their elite or not elite, but their very good wide receiver core with Wilson, um, Elijah Moore, 
uh, and Corey Davis. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what the Jets offense does and, and kind of build off that great performance from last weekend. Mm. Yeah, the, the Jets are going to have to be able to pass the ball in this game because since they lost Brees Hall, they just haven't been able to find another running back uh, that could kind of like get close to the type of juice that Hall had. You know, trading for James Robinson, um, you know, pre-injury James Robinson, uh, you know, his, his first two seasons in the league was awesome. But this year he has, you know, uh, since joining the Jets, he's had a negative 1.4 rushing yards over expected. Um, so, so that hasn't been good as well. You know, Michael Carter has really overwhelmed with negative 0.5 rushing yards over expected. So this is going to be going to have to be a big Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis game, which I think they are capable of doing, you know, given kind of like the, where, where the Vikings are, you know, from, from a secondary perspective, you know, ha- having maybe like secondary play a little bit better than what they expected out of their talent level, but still not being, you know, super high end. And, you know, I think something that's interesting is I was talking to my friend, Matthew Collar, who, who covers the Vikings and the Vikings ranked second in defensive EPA per play in the fourth quarter this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's come off a lot of these high leverage plays like the Patrick Peterson at uh, end zone interception against the bills that, you know, got them back in the game. And we were wondering if the Vikings did anything different in the fourth quarter to, you know, kind of cause these high leverage things to happen. They don't blitz at any different rate. They don't play coverages at any different rate. It's really just, I think like some luck involved in what's happening to them in the fourth quarter right now. So that is due for regression to the mean eventually. I don't know if that happens in this game, but I could see it happening, you know, further down the line. But if that's something that does happen, you know, soon it could happen in this game where they're up by, you know, seven or 10 points and the the uh, Jets wide receivers are able to take advantage of, you know, some softer coverages that the Vikings give them. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, I'm curious, did, was the stat you just pulled, was that just fourth quarter? Or was it overtime as well? Because that's when uh, just, the... Yeah, like, that was just fourth quarter. But yeah, I think overtime would probably be even more. Better. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd probably be first. Um, but yeah, and uh, yeah, so I, I think, you know, what you said is right. And it's probably going to be it's probably going to be a more of a low scoring game than a high scoring game, just because I think the Jets defense is that good. And um, like, I just like don't really trust the the Jets offense just yet. Like, again, Mike White is such an unknown. And even though he had the best EPA per play of any quarterback last week, like it was against the Bears defense, who was missing a ton of a bunch of starters, Eddie Jackson and Brisker going down, Kyler Gordon getting hurt. So the Vikings defense, while it's, it's pretty much league average, which is just peak Vikings, it will pose more of a challenge for the Jets offense than I think, um, you know, the Bears did last week. But um, I do want to move on to another fun game, Titans versus Eagles. So this one in Philadelphia, I'm curious to hear your take on this because I feel like the I just haven't been able to get a good read on the Eagles since like the Colts game or the Commanders game where on Monday night where they lost. And I just like feel like they've kind of been out of sync, but I'm curious to hear like what your take on this game is first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, starting from the Eagles offense versus the Titans defense, um, you know, I've made it known on this pod on Twitter that I'm, I'm very, very bullish on the Eagles offense as a whole. But I do think that this game poses a bad matchup for them. And that's because of third and long, right? So the Titans first uh, forced third and long to opposing offenses, the third most often in the league. So I define third and long as third and seven plus. So, you know, Mm -hmm. this is happening a lot to opposing offenses that play the Titans, you know, because of, you know, kind of Jeffrey Simmons, David Long, Kevin Byard, you know, the the backbone of their defense is not allowing uh, teams to run the ball. 
on them on early downs. And then they're also forcing, you know, middle of the field passes to fall incomplete on the, on the back end. So the problem is Jalen Hurts ranked 20th in E paper pass on third and long. And so, you know, when, when, when you're going to have this type of, you know, passing attack go against, you know, a, t- a Titans defense that is forcing a lot of these third and longs, I think that could be a problem for the Eagles offense. So, you know, how I think that they'll approach this is, using Jalen Hurts' legs on a lot of design rushes and, you know, putting him in a lot of scramble opportunities because the Titans' worst, um, you know, they have the second-best rush defense in the league, but the only game that they've been completely gashed on the ground was against the New York Giants in Week 1. Mm-hmm. And, you know, very very mobile quarterback in Daniel Jones there. A lot of things that the Giants did where is either Jones running the ball or, you know, handing it off to, to Saquon. And, you know, that, like, kind of, like, took advantage of, this, these Titans linebackers that are really, really good at pursuing, but that hurts them to an extent because they're so good at getting to their spot that sometimes when there's a misdirection happening, it can be taken advantage of by the offense. So I can see yeah. that happening a lot with the Eagles game plan where it's going to be, you know, hurts faking a handoff and running the opposite direction or hurts keeping it and, uh, and or, uh, hurts ha- actually handing it off and like trying to move the linebackers off the their spot. You know, I, I love that point so much because I, I was actually doing my research on this earlier in the week and the Titans right now have the fifth worst defense versus play action of any team in the league. So when you talk about getting to the spot and, and being fooled on misdirection, I think that's where the Eagles can really lean into Jalen Hurts' arm this game, where you get him on bootlegs, you get him in these uh, in these play action scenarios where David Long, who has been having a great season, is probably going to bite. And Zach Cunningham, who's also, uh, you know, a big uh, run stopper, but he struggles against play action. I think your by distance underexpected kind of showed that, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to struggle versus play action. And I think if the Eagles are willing to lean into Jalen Hurts' arm, trust him a little bit more, use more play action instead of running the ball, I think they'll have a lot of success in this game. Because, again, I don't really think there's anyone on the Titans that can slow down A.J. Brown. We literally saw 6'4 T. Higgins just absolutely annihilate them last week. The jump balls are going to be there. If Roger McCreary, McCreary, who's like 5'10", 5'11", with some of the shortest arms of any corner in the NFL, is against A.J. Brown, like, just throw it, like, just take a shot, right? Like, A.J. Brown at home, like, he's going to be able to, I think, come down with it more often than not. So, I think if the Eagles are willing to lean into some of that play action that has kind of worked for them Jalen Hurst um has graded out about as a top 10 uh passer using play action has thrown uh the most touchdowns along with Patrick Mahomes um running play action I think the Eagles could have success offensively in this game and like I think the Eagles offensive line uh, you feel free to disagree is, is slightly better than the Titans defensive line um and I think like if they do want to run the ball, like you said, hand it off more than, um, you know, let Hurts keep it, I think they could have success there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the play action element is is really big in this game. And, you know, something that we talked about earlier in the week was, you know, if, if Sirianni had, you know, a, a different type of quarterback, he would want to be passing at 65, 70% of the time, because I think he does a really good job of working with his analytics staff on understanding where the edges are in football that aren't being utilized. And one of it is the, the, you know, having a higher pass rate usually leads to higher success for teams that have mm-hmm. a, a really high end passing quarterback. Hertz is a good passer, but he's not a great passer. Um, so, you know, Sirianni likes to use his, his legs a lot more, but like another aspect, you know, of edge that team can find is play action. And so when you go up against a, 
Titans defense that's going to throw everything at you and you know that they're going to get pressure a lot, they're going to try to force you into third and longs a lot, you can try to mitigate that as best you can with play action, with getting your offensive line to flow outside and, and getting them in space. And, you know, I also think another way that you can approach it is A.J. Brown tunnel screens. You know, they, they were doing those a lot early in the season. They've kind of moved away from them recently. But, you know, I, I think like with A.J. Brown screens and, you know, kind of getting him moving uh, as he catches the ball could be something really effective to take away, uh, you know, some some tight or to take advantage of some Titans corners who are smaller might not be able to tackle him given how good he is after the catch. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I, I, you know, I do want to transition the conversation to the run game a little bit. We, you kind of brought it up, but in terms of just like pure running the ball, it's, it's such a weird, like, it's such a weird uh, miss or matchup for both sides. Um, Again, like looking into this game. So the Titans have the lowest rate of perfectly blocked runs of any team on offense. And the Eagles have like the bottom on defense have like a bottom five rate of allowing perfectly blocked runs. So they allow teams to, you know, perfectly block their runs, which leads to a high EPA on that rush most likely. And the Titans do a really poor job of perfectly blocking those runs. And on the flip side, the Eagles have the number one offense at perfectly blocking runs while the Titans have the number two run defense at perfectly Mm -hmm. blocking runs. So you have bad run defense versus bad rush offense on Titans O versus Eagles D. Then you have a great run defense versus great run offense for Eagles O versus Titans D. Like, do you like, do you think that's going to be the difference in this game? Cause we know the Titans are going to try to pound the ball, especially as road dogs. Like they're going to try to like, you know, lean into Derrick Henry more and more, or do you actually think it's going to be more of Tannehill having to work his magic like he did in Green Bay? Yeah, I know that that's super interesting point. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. And yeah, like I I just don't have much faith in the Titans' run game right now. Um, you know, like you mentioned, like they're not perfectly blocking runs at a high rate. They rank 24th in EPA per rush, 25th in success rate. Derrick Henry has a negative <laughs> 0.44 rushing yards over expected per carry this year, which is 25th out of 38 qualifying running back. So not only is their offensive line not performing well, Henry hasn't been able to overcome it at the rate that we're accustomed to with him. So I think, you know, the Eagles have uh, allowed a positive EPA per rush for every opponent since week six, um, you know, basically since Jordan Davis has gotten injured. I think that could end, you know, this, this week um, because the amount of volume that the Titans will be running is greater than most of the teams that the Eagles faced. You know, we saw that the Packers approached their Sunday night game against them with more of a pass first approach, but then mixed in runs when they could take advantage of lighter boxes. But the the mm-hmm. Titans are going to be the opposite, you know, run first approach and mix in the passes. And, you know, I think the Eagles are going to sit in a decent amount of uh, too high and the Titans don't like when Tannehill has to pass against too high. He's a single high uh, type quarterback yeah. to pass against. So that's yeah. where we'll just see them lean heavily on the run game in this game. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, and that, that's that's going to be the difference in this game, like how much Titans are willing to pass. And if the Eagles decide to bring that extra guy in the box and if that kind of trade off is worth it, I I don't know. They, they have a lot of smart people in that building. I'm curious to see what the game theory is behind that. And I'm really excited to see how that plays out on Sunday. Um, transitioning to another NFC East team or two NFC East teams, Commanders Giants. So this one's an interesting game. Uh, you know, spread is Washington minus two and a half. It basically opened as a pick Now a lot of sharp money towards the Commanders. Um, it, it's really, to me, a, a, just another 
they basically copy pasted uh, the Cowboys Giants game and just threw the commanders in there and commanders have a way worse offense, but a pretty similar defense. I think we talked about it last week, how the commanders since like week four have had one of the best defenses in the NFL. They should be getting Chase Young back or even if he's not back, the commanders still have one of the best defensive lines in the NFL uh, top four in pressure rate while the Giants offensive line is 10th in pressure rate. But I do want to talk about Brian Dable, and I was pretty impressed by his performance or his play calling last week, even though he didn't have basically anyone missing like four offensive line starters. Uh, his receiver core is still pretty bad. He was pretty aggressive, running a lot of play action, run like passing the ball more than I thought he would, um, even given that he was he didn't have his like receiver core healthy. And I think like that type of you know, aggressiveness isn't is needed for this Giants team just because you know Saquon Barkley, like he's he's good, but at this point in the season, you're probably gonna see a little bit of a drop-off. We talked about it in our uh pre or in our review episode on Wednesday, how like we kind of see a dip at this point in the season because uh, running backs uh are kind of accumulating these type of like ticky tacky injuries. So I think the like the Giants in this game have the disadvantage in the trenches, and I think that's why the Commanders are kind of like slowly becoming the favorites um, in this game. Yeah, I I do think it 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 comes down to the trenches there. Um, you know, I think like you can kind of debate like maybe like the the value of Chase Young. You know, since he's gotten to league, maybe you know some people will say he's been um, underwhelming, but when you throw him into a defensive line with Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat and like the rest of the, the way that the guys are playing there, like, I think you can, you can really take, you know, that like starts to become something where you can just have a lot of versatility with what you do. And you can really just take advantage of the way that the uh, Giants offensive line being so banged up has to play right now. And like, that's just another guy that you have to block for that replaces, you know, someone who hasn't been maybe playing as well for the commanders. But, you know, I think like the Giants, you know, uh, in their game against the Cowboys wanted to kind of like just throw deep balls to Darius Slayton. And it, it worked, you know, for for the first half because mm-hmm. Slayton is a, is a really efficient receiver right now. Um, you know, our, our club member in, in the Michigan Football Analytics Society, Daniel Galper, he uh, is, you know, made a stat called EPA per pl- EPA plus, which basically just adjusts EPA on a scale of zero to hundred. So Darius Slayton leads the league right now um, in EPA plus per reception at you know a score of seventy five. But he doesn't get targeted that often because mm-hmm. you know we would see his efficiency go down as targets go up. But he also ranks tenth in ESPN's tracking data metrics among wide receivers so he seems to be having a pretty good season but when you're the only form of offense you know with Saquon um, you know kind of regressing as you mentioned and you know Daniel Jones maybe not being able to play at as high of a level as he was earlier it's going to be a lot tougher for the Giants to move the ball I think yeah and I agree and I think the Giants defense is also a big concern for me they had a couple you know good drives against the Cowboys where they you know showed up and they kind of held the Cowboys to three and outs or even like stopping them in their own territory on fourth down. Um, but I, there's just no one right now who can cover Terry McLaurin on that deep end. CD lamb absolutely torched them. I was, you know, we kind of talked about it uh, before Thanksgiving, how CD overs were, were the play and it eventually hit by the third quarter or something. Uh, I do want to talk about Kayvon Thibodeau who had his best game as a pro nine pressures, five QB hits, but, you know, adjusting for competition, he was going against rookie Tyler Smith. So, kind of have to grade him on that curve because in the two previous games, he only had one pressure versus Laramie Tunsil and one pressure versus, you know, your Lions, Taylor Decker. So, 
you know, it's good that he had this type of performance. I do want to kind of concede, uh, see it continue to play out in this game, going going against the Commanders, um, who you know have a much better offensive line or left tackle than the uh, the Cowboys. But you know, it, with all the talk of Kayvon Thibodeau versus uh, Aiden Hutchinson versus Trevon Walker, do you, at this point in the season, like just a random question, like do you think who do you think is the best of the three, like in terms of their long term projection? Yeah, so, you know, my pre-draft prior had Thibodeau, um, Hutchinson, Walker. I all thought they were tier one, um, you know, players that you could take with a top 10, top 15 pick. And I'm still holding through with Thibodeau right now. You know, those of us that actually watch the Lions, uh, not, <laughs> not, not many national analysts do. But, like, a lot of what Hutchinson has done this year, um, you know, from an interceptions perspective and from, like, a sacks perspective has been, um, you know, uh, un- unblocked sacks basically is the majority of how he's gotten the majority of his sacks and his pressures this year. And then the interceptions are kind of like things you can't count on for the future. So his counting stats do look good this year and he's been an okay pass rusher. But when you can see Thibodeau take over a game like he did against the Cowboys, um, you know, on Thanksgiving, I know it, you know, wasn't the best competition that he was facing maybe, but you can actually see like the effect of his bendiness and, you know, his like kind of ceiling as a pass rusher. And he can, you know, he start he had to go through training camp in the beginning of the season with an injury, but I still mm-hmm. think that going forward, he can be the best uh, pass rusher, you know, out of the three. And he does have the highest pressure rate out of the three followed by Hutchinson and then, and then trailing Walker uh, at the end there. Yeah. Okay. I- I'm with you there. My ranking is the same as yours. Let's move on to the afternoon games. We're going to talk about Dolphins, Niners, and Chiefs, Bengals, um, because those are the, I would say, the two best games of the weekend. So let's start with the Dolphins, 49ers. We have, you know, two and on versus right-handed two and on. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to hear, like, what your take on take is about this game, because I think it's, you know, a very, very interesting game from a scheme perspective. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it should be illegal to have Dolphins 49ers and Chiefs Bengals at the same time. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah we, I, you know, multitasking is a tough thing to do, and we're all going to have to do, be doing it during this game. But I also think that, you know, from like a quarterback perspective in this game, it kind of is the Spider-Man meme, right? Like, <laughs> like Tua and, and Jimmy G are going to be pointing at each other from across the, um, across the field here because both of what they do is so similar and you know when I said that I think Tua could be a Jimmy G I meant it as a complimentary thing because Jimmy G is the perfect thing that the 49ers need in their offense you know given how they have the most yards after catch EPA the most yards after catch overall in the league every season you know we can see that kind of like play out with Tua where it's not as much yards after catch but his receivers are open more often than any other receivers in the league, but he is playing perfectly in structure to allow his offense to be the best passing offense in the NFL right now, you know, according to EPA per pass. So that's where I think like you have these really good play callers and you have these really, really good weapons. And these quarterbacks are just like great fits for exactly what their offenses want to do. Yeah. And you know, the, the big question for this game for me is, whether Teron Armstead is going to play. So him and Austin Jackson, who is the right tackle for the Dolphins, both missed practice on Wednesday and Thursday. And as we know, Nick Posa, uh, you could say is a top five edge rusher in this league. He lines up over the left tackle most of the time. So, you know, I, I am a little bit worried for Tua there. But see, like the thing with Tua is 
you know, one of the things I, I've always given credit to him for is like his accuracy. And also like, I think his anticipation has been tremendous this year. So when passing with under 2.5 seconds, so when it's time to throw is 2.5 seconds and lower, he has a 90.2 PFF grade first in the league, 11 touchdowns, no interceptions, five big time throws. Like he's been you know flawless damn near on these on these plays where he gets the gets rid of the ball in 2.5 seconds or or less and that's i think gonna have to be the game plan for mike mcdaniel going into this game like i i'm just really curious to see what he comes up with if armstead and jackson are hurt because you're not going to be able to run these deeper developing plays with nick bosa and bucam armstead coming after you right like do they run more rpos do they move two out of the pocket do they use a lot more jet sweeps to try to catch the edge players you know over pursuing um against Tua? so a lot of stuff with waddle and tyreek out of the backfield i just think there's so many possibilities that the niners go or the dolphins go with this and uh, i'm very very excited to see what mike mcdaniel does mm-hmm. yeah no that's a great point about his his uh time to throw and yeah i i do think that this will be a game where it's intermediate outside passes that they'll really take advantage of uh, for from the Dolphins' perspective because you don't want to pass over the middle of the field with Fred Warner, and you're not really going to have time, I don't think, to pass uh, you know on plays with 20 plus air yards with it. So we can see a lot of you know these routes where it'll be Hill and Waddle maybe on outbreaking routes toward the sideline, like 10, 15 yards down the field could be the way that. The Dolphins often moves moves uh, you know down down the field because you know these 49ers corners can can be taken advantage of and you yeah. know I think like they'll sit in zone basically the entire game because one you can't play man against the Dolphins to begin with <laughs> um, because of yeah. what Helen Waddle can provide but two like that's what the 49ers like to do right like they they like to sit in zone um, you know but I do think like you know D- D'Amico Ryan's is gonna you know try to do a lot to get pressure with four whether it's stunts or, you know, um, like mugging it up and, and having people back off. And it's going to be a big, you know, to a McDaniel connection game to kind of figure out how to combat that and, you know, adjust as the game goes on. Yeah. And the Niners play man at one of the lowest rates of any team in the league. I think like, I think with this game, it's going to be, it's going to be to a having to make some throws. Like the, I think our friend who saw him, Patel, who's who is a Dolphins fan and who who joined us on our live space, kind of talked about this on Twitter. Like, um, d- the Dolphins are one of the better teams at throwing over the middle. Part of that is Tua. Part of that is you know the scheme scheming guys open. But against the Niners with uh, Hufunga, with Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, you're not going to be able to like really test these guys over the middle like that's why like one of the Niners are one of the best defenses in the NFL is they take away the most efficient part of the field Mm -hmm. better than almost any team in the NFL right so it's it's going to have to be two of making throws with anticipation and like you said the outbreaking routes he's going to have to throw it quick if Nick Bosa and Ebucom are screaming off the edge so in terms of the the Dolphins offense, it's going to be a struggle like, a little bit, I think, if Armstead is not playing. But as we kind of outlined with the time to throw and, and passing great stuff, like Tua has been you know, great this year, even when having to get rid of the ball quick. But on the flip side of the ball, I do think the Dolphins defense is a, like it can go both ways. And I really think it's a coin flip to see how this game goes, because I think we've kind of seen like the happy feet, Jimmy G, if you know what I'm talking about, like when pressure gets to him or teams send an all out blitz where he's kind of backpedaling, backpedaling, just throws the ball off his back foot over the middle of the field. Sometimes you'll have the robber there. I think it's going to be a 
a big like big Javon Holland Holland game. He's probably going to be matched up on Kittle depending on where he lines up, but the Dolphins love to show those simulated pressure, those mugged looks, and Josh Boyer likes to get deep in his bag with that. So it's it's going to be a fun matchup there, and I think you know it's going to Jimmy is going to have to have one of his better games in terms of taking care of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think it needs to be a big Javon Holland game because, you know, simply put, like the Dolphins just don't have the corners to keep up with uh, Brandon Ayuk's route running, which is, you know, top of the league this year. Um, You know, he ranks top 10 in ESPN's tracking data metrics as well. And then Debo Samuel, who has, you know, the most yards after catch uh, over expected in the league this year. Also, like, I just don't think the Dolphins have corners to keep up with that. And, you know, we, we, the, I think they will use the middle of the field and Holland is really going to have to be that robber that kind of confuses Jimmy yeah. G into throwing a big interception. But, you know, we were talking about this with our friend Sean Syed um, uh, yesterday, and we were, we were talking about how Jimmy G's turnover worthy play rate has, has been cut in half this, this season, right? So, you know, last year he had a, a 5.1% uh, turnover worthy play rate where he was putting the ball in harm's way pretty often this year it's gone down to 2.5 percent which is 10th best in the league he was yeah. second to last last year 10th best in the league and that was always you know film guys's um main gripe with jimmy g was all right he's gonna be pretty good 90 90 percent of the time in your offense he'll be pretty efficient but like five to ten percent of the time he just does the dumbest things and he'll short circuit and do something if he's not doing that then He's going to be a really good quarterback in this offense. And, yeah. you know, he's always been really efficient. And I, I, I think, like, you know, the 49ers should feel better about him going forward because when you are just able to provide an outlet option for him when his first or second read isn't open, he can really just do something, um, you know, and take that take that check down or, you know, maybe that that shorter pass that wasn't one of the, the deeper concepts that he was initially looking for and make that a lot better. But, you know, if Christian McCaffrey doesn't play in this game, you kind of take away that outlet and then we could revert back to old, you know, mistake happy Jimmy G. Yeah. But if he does play, I think you have that outlet and you should be fine on offense there. Just something about these damn Niners running backs and staying healthy. <laughs> like how Elijah Mitchell's already back on IR. Like I, I don't understand, but um, yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you said. The other point is both Jimmy and Tua's uh, big time throw rate have actually damn near doubled from last year to this year. So it's not also not just that they're taking care of the ball better, but they're also, I think, pushing it a little bit more downfield. I think Tua does it a little bit more than Jimmy, but Jimmy's also done a good job of kind of making those got to have it throws when you need it. Um, you know, last point about this game. So I, I've kind of been a little worried about the Niners, like play action offense. I feel like that is one of the staples of the Shanahan scheme. Like you run, you, you run the outside zone and linebackers that have flow. So have to flow hard against the run that it opens up the bootlegs. It opens up the play action, but Jimmy hasn't been that great running play action this year. He, he grades near the, you know, mid twenties running play action, mm -hmm. um, which isn't what you want to see. But, but the thing with the dolphins is they're very susceptible to play action. They have the um, seventh worst EPA per play allowed against play action this year. And again, the part of that is because of the scheme Boyer runs a lot of those seven man, eight man on the line where they're susceptible to biting hard against the run guys like Jerome Baker, who got a good contract and like guys like Duke Riley, like they're fine as run stuffers are greatest blitzers, but I think they can be susceptible to biting hard against play action, especially as a blitz heavy team, they could get exposed by the Niners. If the Niners, if, if uh, Shani's calling the good plays on Sunday. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's it's such a cool angle to see, you know, how it'll it'll be uh, Mike McDaniel versus Kyle Shanahan. You know, like like broadcasts always love to mention like, oh, here's like a you know a coach's record against their coaching tree <laughs> or different things like that. You know, especially with Nick Saban, that usually comes out. So we're gonna start to see that now with uh you know these these new age coaches with Kyle Shanahan versus versus Mike McDaniel. But like a, a lot of these video, you know, from like a non analyst perspective like all these videos come out like every week about mike mcdaniel like on the sidelines or in practice or something like that and he just seems like a great like guy to like yeah. be around and like i see why this team is like so like happy and like they're all thriving and you know Tua is playing the best football that he's played in in his nfl career and you know tyree kill loves being there um you know even though the team that he left is also doing really well without him but like you can just see kind of like the effect of mike mcdaniel you know being pretty good on his fourth down decisions, uh, you know, having a, a, a very high pass rate and, you know, just kind of understanding like all these like small things that he can do to, to help his team win. And this is the biggest test for them, um, you know, of, of the year so far uh, with a fel- fully healthy Tua. So it'll be super interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. Um, I know we're not going to talk about this in our bets. So do you have like a score prediction for this game, you know, or just the, you know, straight up prediction because Niners are minus four. So, I would say they're probably given about like a greater than 60% chance to win this game. So uh, what are you, what are you kind of projecting for this game in terms of straight up, not the spread? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would lean uh, 49ers here. If, you know, if I had to pick a team to win, I would pick them just because I don't think the Dolphins defense just has the the players to keep up mm-hmm. with this like arsenal of weapons that the 49ers offense has assembled. I think both offenses will play well. And it'll just come down to third down Jimmy G making a play. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I know. Totally agree with you. I was going to use the defensive point as well. And I think we might see the Dolphins struggle just a little bit with our, without Taron Armstead. Just because even if Tua gets rid of the ball fast, the Niners are, the are I would say, the most physical team in the NFL. They play fast and physical, which is such such a tough thing to come by. Mm-hmm. And D'Amico Bryans are going to have the dogs uh, ready on Sunday. But <laughs> I mean, we got to move on to the probably the best game of the slate. Could be the game of the season if everything goes as planned. Chiefs, Bengals, Chiefs minus one and a half in Cincinnati. Our friend Eric Geiger going to be going to this game, and he has, uh, I think, a curse on the Chiefs. Every game he's gone to, they've <laughs> lost. <laughs> so, except the Super Bowl where they beat the Niners. Uh, I'm gonna let you kick this off. Like, what are you kind of projecting for this game? Yeah, yeah, you know, Eric was at uh, the the last two Chiefs Bengals games from last year, and like that's where I started when I was, you know, looking forward for this game. Was all right, Chiefs offense versus Bengals defense. You know, that's going to be a fight. And so Patrick Mahomes has had eighty four second halves in his, uh, you know, career where where he's played the majority of the snaps. Um, only seventeen of them he's generated a negative EPA for his team. The worst came in the AFC Championship game last year against the Bengals, and the tenth worst came against the Bengals last season. The Bengals' second-half defense last year, you know, was really good against the Chiefs, and their second-half defense this year has been really, really good because Lou Anarumo knows, you know, what he's doing. Like, he dropped eight against the Chiefs, and it broke the Chiefs' offense in the AFC Championship game. And if if they decide to do something similar to that, again, where it's only, you know, maybe three down defensive linemen, and they also put a fourth linebacker on the line or, or something similar like that. Andrew Andrew Reed has to just run the ball. Like, like we, we shouldn't advocate for running the ball uh, that often because of how, you know, less efficient it is than passing. But, and I know the Chiefs, you know, rush offense ranks 20th in the league right now in EPA per rush. But 
you just have if they're going to give you five six man boxes you have to run the ball and keep them honest and then let Mahomes you know feast on single high coverages yeah no I totally agree we we talked about this um on you know earlier off air I think earlier in the week how the Bengals like last year they dared the Chiefs to run the ball and the Chiefs didn't really do that they tried passing it because it worked in the first half and didn't really work in the second half but in this game I, or at least in this season, I think the Chiefs have shown the willingness to run the ball a little bit more. Um, that Sunday night football game against my Chargers, we saw one drive where Andy was literally like he was fine just running with Pacheco almost every single play. So if the Bengals are going to run the light boxes, the, if they're only going to rush three, if they you know have more pass rushers than run stoppers on the field, they should lean into their ground attack, even if the running backs um, aren't that great. Um, you know, it's just something that I think Eric tweeted about after I, I posted about it but you know Chiefs have one of the better um run blocking offensive lines in terms of perfectly blocked runs but the problem is their running back sucks so they don't really generate much um even when things go right uh so yeah it's going to come down to whether the Chiefs I think want to run the ball and if the Bengals are going to give that to them but really I don't think any lead is safe in this game regardless if the Chiefs go up 10 or Bengals go up 10 this is really I think it's just going to be a dog fight and come down to who has the ball last um, and I, we talked about this on our review episode. The Bengals have been very good. I think they're legit. And I, I don't know how much Chase is going to impact this offense coming off like an, an ankle injury where he might not be as, as explosive off the line. He might not be able to beat press coverage off the line. Um, you know, what is your kind of like thoughts about this Bengals offense versus this Chiefs defense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, you know, how well the Bengals offense does in this game is going to be how often that they use under center, right? So, like, the Chiefs' defense has been the third-worst team uh, in EPA for play against under center this season, but 10th best against shotgun. So they've really struggled against under center, but they've been pretty good, um, you know, against shotgun. The Bengals use under center the the sixth least often in the NFL. You know, that was a lot – a big complaint about about Zach Taylor was how, you know, little he – passes out of under center it's always passes out a shotgun and mm-hmm. you know they, they've only passed the Bengals have only passed 42 times out of um under center this season but it's been a 0.26 epa per pass which has been really really efficient and um you know they they started to go back to last week or these past two weeks it, running the ball under out of under center more you know went from about a 40 percent under center run rate to a uh 60 yeah 60 percent under center run rate so mm-hmm. if they can be more fluid with passing and running out of under center and take advantage of a Chiefs defense that hasn't been good at defending that type of stuff, I think they could do really well in this game. But it's how much Zach Taylor is willing to do that and kind of change his offense, you know, going into this week um, where he wants to can or where he can get to more passing concepts, uh, not out of shotgun. Yeah, that that's a really good point. I love that, you know, kind of split you brought up about the Chiefs defense. I think in terms of this case, you want to do what makes Joe Burrow comfortable and, instead of trying to attack the Chiefs' weakness. The, the Bengals' offense, I think we can all agree, is better than the Chiefs' defense on paper. Um, so just stay. I think for them, probably staying in shotgun is more beneficial to them than trying to do things that haven't really worked all year for them. As we know, like offensive o- offense usually dictates um, the result more than the defense does. Um, the one point about the scam that I was talking with our friend Ben Brown about earlier was the Chiefs have uh, the Chiefs have the highest or ha- have the highest variability in their coverages. So 
you know, the way we like to measure kind of like versatility, unpredictabilities through uh, entropy, uh, Shannon entropy, which is like a famous mathematical term that, you know, we've kind of used at PFF at times. So no team has a higher uh, Shannon entropy than the Chiefs this year, which means they like to mix up their coverages, which I think is really interesting, given that they're starting a bunch of young guys, right? Like Joshua Williams, I think is his name at corner. Um, Jalen, some Jalen, something who took the pick six against my Chargers. Trent McDuffie's coming back from injury, like a bunch of rookies out there, right? And th yet they still they're still mixing up their coverages. I don't know if that's a if that's a smart thing or a bad thing, or that's just trying to get the Chiefs defense prepped for the playoffs to have experience in all these coverages. But they're not going to throw the same look at the Bengals very often. And I think you know we've kind of given our flowers to Zach Taylor for his play calling this year and making the move to go under shotgun more, um, go out of shotgun more. But I think his he's going to need to be able to adjust and be able to kind of help Burrow. And, and Burrow is going to need to be on the top of his game with his pre-snap reach, which I think he has been for most of the year. So the, you know, the deep balls are going to be there. He's probably going to have one or two big plays to chase in Higgins throughout the course of this game, but continuously like being successful through the error on the ground, which has been a staple of the Bengals offense this year. It's how I think, you know, they're going to be uh, putting up points on offense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Spags, you know, as a defensive coordinator in this game, just he he does really like to blitz, uh, and and um, you know, that's like kind of like his his staple, and it, it you know it can work a lot of the times, but you have to hold in that temptation here against the Bengals because yeah. when you blitz and you leave your corners on an island against Chase and Higgins, they can really just take advantage of you know everything that that you're looking for that when you when you blitz and like Burrow, I think is so good at kind of like moving in the pocket um you know he's really lower to his pressure to sack ratio where yeah. he's you know the, the worst pressure to sack ratio early on in the season that's gotten better as the season's gone on and so you can start to see like everything that made the chiefs or the Bengals offense so good down the stretch last year where they played the chiefs twice in the span of you know a month uh where where everything was clicking that's starting to happen for them right now it's just happened against bad defenses um you know the chiefs aren't a great defense but this is like a real opponent that they're going up against and that's why it's going to be a huge test for them and it's it's really interesting that you know the the line is minus one and a half um you know given what we know about these two teams and you know how much home field advantage doesn't really affect lines anymore but that's you know kind of like the betting market showing that this will be a game that should come down to the wire and the Bengals won both of their games last year on last second field goals so you know maybe it comes down to a last second field goal here but it'll be super cool to see you know how these passing offenses um kind of go go to town on on the defenses yeah i i'm so excited for this game uh <laughs> and to see kind of how it plays out but yeah that's gonna be so those are all the games we wanted to review for this upcoming sunday a very a very fun slate i'm glad we were able to review those games um let's transition to our bet segment uh giving out our bets all right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so now we're back with our bets of this week. We do want to recap our lock of the week last week, which was Bucks minus three. And look, Bucks were up seven. Oh, and then, 
you know, they had the ball twice under three minutes and they punted the ball back to the Browns. Just absolute cowardice by Todd Bowles. We do- we talked about it on our review show on Wednesday. If you want to go listen to what we had to say about his fourth down decisions. I do feel like our process there was good where the Bucks defense slowed down the, the Browns offense and the Bucks offense had some life early in the game. But just in the at the end of the game, they couldn't get it. They couldn't move the ball for some reason. And, you know, we should have, I guess, had the handicap of Bowles not being sharp on fourth down in this in our handicap but i thought the bucks were just overall the better team and they kind of showed that and it took a, a miraculous one-handed catch from david Njoku to kind of you know uh tear up our bucks minus three ticket yeah it was it was a tough one to watch um you know when david Njoku made the catch uh and and you know sent it into overtime i was like oh here we go again there's another lock <laughs> of the week that i thought was gonna win um only to have it not win but that's you know that's i i just want to chalk it up to variants uh, in my yeah. mind and kind of keep going here um so yeah why don't you start us off with, with one of your bets then all right we're going chiefs minus one and a half chiefs money line i'm gonna count it as one and a half because if no actually i'm gonna take the money line i'm not playing around with the this last second field goal bs that we just talked about um but yeah i just i i just don't see uh patrick mahomes and andy reed losing to the bengals three times in a row the the Chiefs literally sleptwalked through that game versus the Rams just so they saved all the good plays for the Bengals. Like they were already mentally prepared for this game versus the Bengals. The Chiefs have the best offense in the NFL, without a doubt, in my mind. Mahomes is playing at an MVP level. Even last week, where you know he ha- he had a really bad red zone interception, he had he led the Chiefs on six different play six different drives of nine plays or more. Given so he was just methodically moving the ball and. Um, you know, we haven't seen the Bengals defense get tested yet with, with the loss of Awuzie. They haven't played a real offense since really the Browns game where they got torn up for 32 points. I think the Chiefs will be able to roll on offense. And I think I think it will come down to Mahomes versus Burrow. And I'm taking Mahomes um in this situation right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really like that one. I think, you know, I I, I feel like a lot of people are are gonna be on that that side there. I'll I'll start us off with um Seattle Seahawks against the Rams. Uh, I'll, I'll take the Seahawks minus seven. Um, no, no Matthew Stafford, no Cooper Cup, no Allen Robinson, no Aaron Donald. Worst offensive line in the league. And like <laughs> even with Aaron Donald, the Rams defense ranks 16th in EPA to play to begin with. They have the worst offense in the league. Um, you know, without Stafford and their top two receivers, so I I could just see Geno just you know tearing apart the Rams defense in this game and then the Rams offense not really being able to score as well. So, you know, seven is a, a decent amount of points to cover, but, you know, the, the Rams are just a very, very bad football team right now. And I think Seattle can take advantage of it. The the tone of what you said, the injuries was hilarious. <laughs> just like sound like you were, you were pissed uh, that your boy Stafford was having to go through all of this. But yeah, I, I, I love that pick. Again, if you listen to the PFF forecast on Sunday, we gave minus four and a half out and we've gotten about at least 15 percentage points of closing mm-hmm. line value. So um, I do. So my next pick is a Browns Packers money line parlay at about plus 100 plus 105. Um, you know, make sure to shop around and just try to get the best price there. Um, but I also like Browns minus seven teased with Seahawks minus seven. So six point teaser on DraftKings Sportsbooks minus 120. So you're basically having Seahawks minus one, Browns minus one. You're basically picking them to win as well. I don't mind either of them. I'm going to roll with Browns Packers money line. Um, you know, the Texans are just not trying to win games. They've already given up. They're trying to get Bryce Young or CJ Stroud 
They start. They're starting Kyle Allen for God's sakes. If the most analytically smartest team in the NFL can find a way to beat Kyle Allen, then you know we'll, we'll, I'll chalk it up to variance. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so I'm not really too worried about the Browns. Um, Deshaun's back. He didn't look that great in the preseason, but they're going to be able to run over the Texans. Like Nick Chubb might go for 200 if they really want to just keep it on the ground and not you know try to ease Deshaun Watson back into it. Now the Packers side of things, you know. The the Bears have no one. They lost Eddie Jackson. They or they're not going to have Jokon Brisker. They're not going to have Darnell Mooney. Both their tackles are are injured right now. Claypool's uh, limited. Fields got upgraded to to a full participant, but he's going to be throwing to like Dante Pettis, Equinemius St. Brown. And while the Packers' defense is bad, they're not. I don't think they're as bad as this. What this Bears' offense is right now, even with Fields, you know, playing at a high level for the past couple of weeks of the season, he's going to be playing probably hurt. And Aaron Rodgers is 23 and five against the bears in his career. I like, even if he's playing hurt also, you know, I, I don't think the Packers really lose this game. So again, the bears really don't have an incentive to win and they don't have an incentive to play Justin Fields or anyone else that is, you know, hurt and is part of their young core. So this is me just literally betting on two teams or betting against two teams that have no incentive to win going into the final stretch of the season. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like this. Um, yeah. I mean, not an official bet, but I did give out uh, Nick Chubb over his rushing yards or that will be posted on, on PFF.com. <laughs> you know, Chubb has the second highest explosive run rate in the league. Texans have given up nine more explosive runs in second place. So I, I really like that angle where I think they could just run all over the Texans uh, in that game. And then, yeah, Bears have the worst defense in the league right now. Um, so <laughs> Packers should be able to take advantage of that. So that, that's good there. Um, speaking of bad defenses, uh, <laughs> uh, J- Jacksonville Jaguars money line minus one ten against the Detroit Lions. Um, you brought this up on on the forecast as well. You know, Jaguars are ranked higher in e paper play on both sides of the ball, and then the Lions off a heartbreaking loss angle, right? So under Dan <laughs> Campbell, lost on the sixty six yard field goal. Uh, from Justin Tucker, got boat raced the next week, lost on a last second field goal two weeks later against the Vikings, got boat, boat raced the week after that. Um, you know, we've seen it happen a couple of times this season, like the heartbreaking loss to the Seahawks and how they got smoked by the Patriots the next week. And I think we could see that as well in this game. You know, Trevor Lawrence should be able to pick apart uh, a Lions pass defense that hasn't really been able to stop anyone. And then, you know, when the passing game isn't working, Lawrence will be able to scramble because the Lions have given up the most EPA yeah. uh, to opposing quarterbacks on scrambles this year as well. So we could just really just see a combination of everything happen in this game. And I don't think Goff will have a great game also um, against this Jags defense that's matched up pretty well to defend him. So I, I like Jacksonville to win this game in Detroit. Yeah, Jags plus two, Jags money line, one of my bigger positions of on the season as well so i love this play i'm ready to make it our lock of the week honestly mm-hmm. our bet yeah. our, our favorite play uh so you know again we, we <laughs> to say the least we've been on a cold streak with our bets so tail with caution but i really feel calm i actually feel really good about our bets this week i'm not gonna lie like i feel <laughs> really good uh uh, and then we'll we'll come back on on Wednesday and recap an Owen four, uh, <laughs> Owen four again. But yeah, I, I just going back to that bet. Um, I do agree with everything you said. I love the Jaguars angle, the heartbreak angle, and I think you know, Jaguars fundamentally are just the better better team in this game. Going to be pretty much fully healthy with I guess just Zay Jones and Etn being limited this week. But other than that, they pretty much have their whole roster ready to rock. Um, 
So yeah, Jaguars better the week. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Guys, I really hope you enjoy a very fun weekend of football. This is going to be one of the better ones we've had all season. Hopefully, and every hopefully everything lives up to the hype. Um, and again, thank you all for listening on this episode of Take to Take the Points. And we'll be sure to do some more Twitter spaces in the future. You know, we'll discuss that with you guys on Twitter as well. But that's going to be all for us today. Until next time, on Take the Points.